This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more. Hello, and welcome to The Way Forward. I'm Jack Otter. I have two very special guests this week, Lion Polk, founder of the Polk Wealth Management Group at Morgan Stanley, and Deborah Monteperto, a partner at that group, and of course, the brains of the operation. Right, Deborah? That's what you always tell me when Lion's on the call. Absolutely. So how are you guys doing? Great. How are you? It's great, Chuck. I want to start with how you guys are managing your operation um, from you know, Deborah in Florida, Lion in New York. Um, how large is your team and what steps have you taken to make sure that everyone's in communication like they need to be? Thanks, Jack. Um, we appreciate the discussion with you this afternoon. Um, as you said, we are a large team. There are 29 of us and we're located in different parts of the U.S., different time zones. So technology has been the absolute critical piece that has held it together for us in these last couple of months. Um, specific Morgan Stanley has deep uh, resources and, and great technology. Specifically, we've been using Zoom, I think, as everyone has, sympathy, uh, sympathy for team chats. Um, and our goal, of course, is to you know maintain the level of service for our clients and also to maintain an efficient uh, practice and, and uh, communication between the team members. Um, our team, we started uh, preparations for work from home in early March because we actually had a scare. One of our members was exposed to um, the virus. So we gave uh, team members the choice to uh, come into the office or work from home early on. We then uh, soon actually asked everyone to spend a day at home so that they could practice and make sure that they could get online and that systems were working properly. Uh, Morgan Stanley then mandated on March 20th that we all... Um, that we all work from home. So we've set up home offices. It only took me two days to get a printer working, but um, <laughs> you know we're we're doing we're doing okay. I think Lion has had had similar experiences. Um, I would just say the the one negative is is that you know while technology has kind of been the savior in all of this, it's also made it difficult to differentiate weekdays and weekends. And I think schedules are really getting increasingly um, jam packed. So we want to be more thoughtful about mandating some downtime and, and vacation. Yeah, and J- Jack, yeah, I'll just add to that by saying that, you know, we had very formalized process on how we would operate as a team while we were in the office, um, because as Deborah said, we have a group of us are on the West Coast, um, and we have very formalized meetings, daily meetings, and what have you. When this first started, we would have the entire team on a nine o'clock 9 a.m. call every day, um, and that just got too much. So now we have uh, two calls a week, uh, Monday afternoon and Thursday morning, with the entire team, and we have each team member present what they're doing. And then during the day, they're all in their different silos, so they're all speaking with each other um, you know, constantly during the day, and each uh, team leader or, or section leader is, is holding their own uh, calls with, with their members of their team. And so we found it to be more efficient. I find it to be very efficient with clients doing Zoom. I find it harder uh, working from home, coordinating with the whole team, just because we're not next to each other, be able to just uh, call things out to each other. Um, So as Deborah said, 
you know, weekdays and weekends kind of blur together. And then I find that I, instead of working 10, 11 hours a day, I'm working 11, 12 hours a day. So are you trying to set up any guardrails to prevent that from going to 13, 14? I'm trying. I, I find my wife and kids are those guardrails right now because they tell me it's time for dinner to come in. But um, we've had multiple discussions, obviously, with management. And as we think the way that the re-entry is going to look, we're definitely going to be working like this for several months to come. And so, you know, putting in those guardrails, I'm trying to um, only do client calls, you know, six of the hours during the day. So I have enough time to get through emails and reading and communicate with the rest of the team. And it was also because when this happened, you know, we have early on in my career, it was always about if anything's going off the market, make sure I'm speaking to the client before they're calling us. And that's just you know, that lives throughout our team. So we were all very aggressively reaching out to every client in March. And then April was quarterly meetings. So we had two really, really busy months. So now that that's coming uh, closer to an end, we're trying to set up some guardrails where we actually can um, have a life to be able to, to work at this pace. Sure. That makes sense. Um, and it's a good transition because you run a family office model. So it's not just what's happening in the markets. Uh, how have clients' needs changed during this crisis? So like Morgan Stanley would, has, has been, as Deborah said, spent so much money on technology and processes in place. One of the things that we're, why our business is, has thrived the way it has is because we spend a lot of time with fam families um, in terms of the processes that they're putting in place inside their family office, how decisions are being made, how they're interacting with all the other um, advisors that are supporting that family office. And so the move to remote really was quite seamless uh, with those families. So they were really able to focus on what mattered most, which is really obviously the health, their own health and the health of their families. And Deborah, uh, you said that you've been doing more work in credit. Yes, absolutely. Um, we do a tremendous amount of credit and lending for our clients, individuals, family offices, and institutional clients. And we've seen a, a huge uptick in interest in that arena and um, inbound calls people want to uh, draw down on or extend lines, and all of the banks are reassessing risk during this time, and clients obviously want to know how this affects them personally. Um, people want to know if um, rates can be, you know, if they can refinance at lower costs. Institutionally, there are uh, a lot of competing factors and change in the credit markets right now, so we've been, you know, very, very busy on that front. I know it's been tough to get a jumbo mortgage uh, in the broader world. I assume with Morgan Stanley's connections, you guys have been able to, to do that seamlessly? Well, we, we come to a client with a number of um, options on that front, and often it yeah. will uh, a, a mortgage discussion will lead into a tailored loan or securities-based line. So we sort of come with a whole um, menu of solutions. But our focus really initially, as Lyon said, was just taking care of our clients, our existing families. And now we're seeing, you know, all kinds of inbound interest from, uh, from other uh, clients as well, or other prospects as well. So uh, another thing on, on clients, I assume, in fact, I, I know you have a very broad range of, of clients. So you've got hedge fund managers, and then you've got wealthy individuals who didn't make their money on Wall Street. Um, so across that spectrum, how high were the anxiety levels in March when I, I believe it was literally the fastest in history from the peak of the market into a bear market. Um, how, what were your clients saying to you and what were you saying back to them? 
Well, so, you know, it's interesting because you know, unlike um, in 2000 and 2008, where there were, you know, first legs down and an opportunity to de-risk portfolios, in this case, to your point, it happened so fast. So really, the only thing that protects portfolios is allocation in that respect. And so, you know, as you, as you know, Jack, we, we read and we're relationships with, with most of the people on the street. Um, I would say that Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley strategist, has had a very, very good call. He advised um, that everybody take uh, their clients to their neutral weighting in terms of risk in the summer of 18. And he talked about this rolling bear market. And even though it overshot on the upside at 19, most of our clients, I say all of them but one, went into this uh, being very well allocated. So they were really looking, asking us, and all the conversations were about where's the opportunity. Wow. So we felt really good. We felt really good during the, even though I'm always ner- a nervous person. And so uh, <laughs> even though I was, I was constantly stressed out, our client base was, was uh, really in quite good shape. I, I want to talk more about investing uh, in a minute, but in, in this sense, in terms of sort of preserving capital or taking risks, do you see a difference between your ultra high net worth clients and, and your high net worth? You know, the high net worth, because, you know, again, our mandate, everybody who comes to us is always wealthy. So job number one is make sure they always stay that way. So we always tend to be a little bit more conservative than than the majority that's out there, the, the other allocations that I see. Um, but um, I would say for the high net worth clients, since a large majority of them are living off this wealth, um, it's just the question about, is everything, do I have enough to maintain my my plan that we've put in place? And if you remember what, what really happened, everybody was so focused on the stock market in, in March, is what happened in the credit markets. And most of those folks that are in retirement have a large portion of munis. And in that second week of March, I think the muni index was down like eight or 9%. So we spent a lot of time, obviously, with our with our folks at Morgan Stanley and with our muni managers, making sure we were comfortable with that piece because clients, you know, are uh, expect the volatility in the equity markets, but in the muni market, that kind of move made people nervous. And so sure, that's that where that was massive move. Massive move, right? And then so. Um, you know, and, and obviously the, the big difference between a liquidity issue and a credit issue, right? Because back then it was just a liquidity issue. Now it's got, now people are kind of talking a little bit about the, the types of credit issue. But, but anyway, we, we, that's where we spent a lot of time. And that's where most of our high net worth clients were, were focused on. I'd say the, um, the ultra high net worth were really about where are we taking advantage? So we had tended to have an over allocation to hedge funds. Hedge funds, as you know, just if you look at the index, did their job in Q1. And um, and going forward, as Mike Wilson, our strategist, has talked about, he thinks we're, you know, this is the end of a cyclical bear in an ongoing, sorry, cyclical bear in an ongoing secular bull. And so we're about cutting our hedge fund exposure to now take on more risk. And that's really, and obviously there's a lot of things we'll talk about when you ask about the investment stuff, but a lot of things we're looking at in the illiquid space. um, And that's what the ultra high net worth clients were really asking about. Now, another aspect of allocation, of course, uh, is is what bucket you're putting uh, funds in. So what financial moves are you guys making outside of the portfolios, whether it's setting up trusts or, you know, changing the tax designations, et cetera? 
there's several things, and you know, we talked earlier about you know looking at a Roth again with assets coming down. But we, we, one thing we have been doing is rolling grats because grats that that obviously are out of the money and 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 uh, and putting together new grats at the at the lower prices was really something that was uh, quite popular as the markets were were were, were down. So I, I want to ask you, Deborah, about outreach to new families or clients. It's not as easy now because uh, meeting someone for the first time over a Zoom just ain't the same. Uh, how are you managing that? Yeah, I would agree with you absolutely. I think in general, uh, clients and partners that we have around the firm are, are really happy to interact with Zoom. And I think firms and we're all going to save a fortune on uh, travel going <laughs> forward. But um, I think it is critical that you that you establish relationships and meet people um, in person initially. So, um, as I said, we're really focused on taking care of existing clients. Um, we have been engaged with, with prospects over Zoom and on conference calls. Uh, you know, traditionally, we've historically, we found that in times of volatility, there's a, you know, there, they've been, 08, for instance, was a time when we brought many assets on board and many, many families. People are looking to make a change. Um, so, we are seeing that in our lending business right now and in terms of our our uh, families and private wealth, we, we've really kind of um, just been reacting to what's coming in to us through, uh, through you know, online and, and through our Barron's rankings, really. So you're hearing Line, from a lot of people. Different, yeah, we, we are. We are. But you're, but you're absolutely right. I mean, establishing a relationship for the first time uh, remotely is, is going to be, I think, a challenge going forward. Yeah. And Jack, I'll just add to that because normally our very large clients that we work with, it's it's year or two to bring one client in. So it's a, a long process. Obviously, a lot of face-to-face meetings, I think, you know, going forward, they'll, you know, because we're in the process with one right now, there's a lot of Zoom meetings going on. And I, I say like the, the high net worth families that we deal with, it's it's several months uh, of a process. So we've already, obviously somewhere in the pipeline and, um, and, and, I think some will get closed during this period of time. Um, but in terms of, of of new business, to your question, as Deborah said, it's mostly we're really focused on taking care of our existing clients and the clients we already have in our pipeline. And most of our business comes through referrals from existing clients. Sure. I do want to say that I think for all of us, just about everything we talk about is looked through through the coronavirus lens. Uh, but there, there, there was life before, and there will be life afterwards. And a hallmark of your practice was that you were growing very aggressively, um, as you're pointing out. That continues now. But could you tell us specifically what it is about your team? What attributes of the Polk Group uh, make it uh, so successful? Well, uh, I think you know, like most advisors, but we really spend most of our time. Our mantra is obviously clients first. It's transparency and alignment of interests. And everything we do with clients has to always have those two things uh, front and center. Um, And I think that the other thing that we've done is, you know, in our industry, through technology and how individuals are today, is that the client base is moving faster than a FINRA-regulated institution can move. And so it's really us spending time with 
our senior management and going through what we're seeing and then can we go after business lines where where there's an alignment of where they want to go and where we're seeing the client go. Um, Deborah, why don't you talk about what you've done in lending because that's been a huge growth area of our business. Yeah, one of one of the silos. So our business is really divided into into five business lines, and one of the areas where we've we've led is um, lending not only for individuals and family offices, but also institutional lending, and um, it's it's something where uh, it, it you you it. it pays off for the firm in many ways because these are important relationships. And um, we're, our book of, of loans now is in excess of, of $4 billion. And as I said, that's something that um, we've seen uh, you know, an incredible amount of interest in in, uh, in the last couple of months. And, and pun intended, I'm sure, because we are paying historically low interest. Absolutely, yeah. Um, although, you know, with the market shifting the way it has, uh, risk is being reassessed by all the banks. So there, there are a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of shifting uh, landscape there. Um, just to circle back to, to what you had asked Lion about um, sort of the growth in the team, I would just emphasize that, which again is something we always talk about is service. And one thing throughout this virus, we have been incredibly um, active um, with communication. You know, we're reaching, we never want a client to be looking for us, and that's our individual family office and institutional clients. So we've really been systematically reaching out and touching base with our clients, our partners within the firm, you know, external partners such as law firms and other banks. And um, what we found in all of that is, is in doing that, we're actually, people are interested in doing more business with us, which you know, was was uh, to the greater to a greater extent than we've ever seen, which is which is great. Jack, I'll also add that that you know, when you asked me about the family office space, you know, that's been a, a, a tremendous growth area for us. And uh, you know, if you really look at you know the growth of RIAs and and what they what they've been able to do, our my discussions been with 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 management at Morgan Stanley is if you could have the flexibility of an RIA but have the a, a firm like Morgan Stanley with its resources standing behind you and being able to have that kind of flexibility that would be incredibly powerful. And we're just a, you know environment we, you know I'd say of my 30 years in the industry I've never been with a management team that's so proactive about how can we do, you know, what clients are really looking for at that high end, you know, between Andy and James and, and uh, you know, Vince Lumia and Mandel Crawley. It's a great, great group. And so we've really gotten aggressive about how can we service this part of the market in a way that we can provide all the great resources that a firm like Morgan Stanley has, but also having the flexibility to be nimble with, with particular investments that would interest the, that group. Uh, well, that certainly is the holy grail. Uh, let's talk about markets because that segues nicely into Morgan Stanley's capabilities, but also what you guys are doing individually. Um, just starting with the big picture, uh, what is the view of where we are uh, in in the market uh, that that very swift, painful downturn, and then a rally that I think caught most people by surprise, given that these awful economic numbers would come out and then the market would continue to go higher. So uh, was is that V for real? Or are we going to retest the lows? What's your opinion? Well, um, as I said earlier, you know, again, we read not only all the strategists around the street, but also third party uh, strategists. You know, I've done that for years. And as I mentioned earlier, Mike Wilson's just had a great call and you know, his view when the market was down was that, you know, the lows 
of, I think it was 2180, that you really wanted to start buying the market when it got below, I think he said 2400 um, at the time. And his year on target right now is 3000. Um, I think his bear case is 2700, his bull case is 3250. Um, and really it's all because what the Fed has done um, is, you know, the amount of liquidity they put in the system um, is significantly larger than what they did in 08 and in a much shorter period of time. Now, clearly the restart, there could be fits and starts. There could be, you know, uh, a second wave. But the belief is, is that the market could pull back. Uh, I think I think he's saying 2500 is is low, but believes we're in the beginning of the next cyclical bull, and we're on the we're in the same camp. Uh, well, certainly that three thousand call sounded crazy when he made it, uh, and as the three of us speak, we're now fifty points away. So uh, yeah. <laughs> he certainly was prescient. Uh, yeah. So let's talk about how to get access to that. You mentioned that hedge funds had done their job. You said you're getting a little more aggressive. I assume that means more into equities, uh, but but. What are you looking at right now? Alts um, certainly fell out of favor during a long, uh, great bull market in stocks. Uh, but are you using alternatives at all, private equity? Yeah, so we, we do a lot in alternatives. Um, obviously, with um, with what's just happened in the market, we think there's a tremendous opportunity in, in private credit. We had you know, just our group, not obviously not knowing that COVID was coming, but just because how long the economic cycle was, we started putting in place a lot of distress managers at the end of last year. And obviously we've, we've done some things that have not been right also, but so they, they were drawing down capital, you know, in March. Uh, but we think that opportunity will be around for for uh, a couple of years because there's several sectors that will take a, a, a longer time to come back. Um, and with high quality managers that know how to take advantage of, you know, distressed credit um, or just as distress for control, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting time to, to invest with them. In terms of hedge funds, it was, it was, as I said, as an asset class, if you compare it to equities, obviously it has been horrible for the last five years. We try to construct portfolios and how much risk every client is going to wants to take. We we spend ever uh, meeting once a year with their Monte Carlo simulations to make sure that they're fully on board with how much risk their current portfolio has and what we think it'll what what kind of risk we think it has going forward. Because as you know from the last bull market, a lot of folks. Uh, risk became a lot higher because of how well equities did. And so um, making sure we're all on the same page on on how much risk they're taking. So then when a time like um, uh, what happened in March comes along, we are on our front foot and can take advantage of it. And a lot of that is in the illiquid space. Uh, yeah, everyone has a great stomach for risk when the market's been going up for years uh, nonstop. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let me ask yeah. you about those uh, the, the risk thing. So you have clients who are who, who thrive on risk, right? Hedge fund guys, you know, alpha hogs, um, who are obviously the, a great deal of their wealth is concentrated in their own portfolio. What do you do with the rest of their portfolio? What does that look like? How do you address that conversation? Well, it's a, as you can imagine, it's an interesting conversation because they've clearly 
made their wealth being very successful at investing. So what we try to do is focus on the areas that they have not spent their life uh, focusing on. So a lot of the portfolios look very, very barbelled. Um, I'd say, as you know, as you know, a lot of the wealth in the last bull market has been made in technology, and and clearly with the with the the virus and what we're going through, that trend has just gotten accelerated. Um, I would say again, back to what Mike Wilson's talking about. Once we come out the other side of this, um, you know the leadership in the next bull market might look different than the last bull market. Uh, I think he's, you know, focusing right now more on, on a small and mid cap stocks and banks, you know, so, so we'll talk to them about sectors that they potentially, you know, haven't don't really focus on. Yeah, that's a fascinating discussion. I mean, normally these inflection points tend to reverse um, you know, the things that happened in, in the previous bull market where things might have got a little out of hand. Well, in this case, everything that was doing well is doing better. Um, and in Q2 alone, yeah. the divergence between the growth tech stocks and value has gotten even wider. Um, so talk to us a little bit about where you, what sectors you, you have the, um, the stomach to go into that have not done well. Uh, small, for instance, small stocks have not done well. Value has not done well. Um, is Morgan Stanley starting to nibble there? Well, I, again, I think what, what Mike Wilson has written about is that when we come out the other side of this um, and you're at the beginning of another cyclical bull, the smaller mid-cap stocks tend to do better and 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 the financials um, should do better. Uh, and another um, area that's, that's fascinating right now is, of course, fixed income. For so many years, uh, right, bonds, bond yields were too low. They had to turn around. You know, short those bonds, and now as we speak, the 10-year it's uh, 0.6.7, uh, the 30 years um, about 1.4. Uh, first of all, you can't get a whole lot of income for your clients out of that, and also I would think you have to worry that at some point, uh, unless we go negative, um, those rates are going to back up. So, how do you handle fixed income portfolios right now? It's a great question, and we're having that conversation literally with every client. So, as I mentioned before, in March. We spent a lot of time speaking to the managers and to our strategists inside the firm in terms of how bad, you know, what happened to the muni market. Um, as you know today, you know, if you look at a intermediate term bond portfolio, the yields on munis are still significantly above where the treasury yield is. Normally, as you know, muni yields trade at or below where treasury yields are because of the tax efficiency of those munis. So there's still some room for the narrowing of the spread. But to your point, once you get on the other side, if historically the lowest vol part of a client's portfolio is going to return for you 1% or 2%, how do you construct a portfolio for someone who needs the income for retirement or whatever they're doing in their life? And it's just a, it's a very, and most likely, you know, in a higher tax rate environment. So it's a it's a it's a big conversation. I think one of the reasons that you see the equity market doing what it's doing is you can get a higher yield on a on a you know the S and P than you can on the ten year bond. That's normally a good time to own equities. And so the real question comes back to what I mentioned before. As we sit down with clients and go over uh, their Monte Carlo simulation and how much risk are they willing to take, um, is that level of risk a notch or two higher to be able to get them the return that they're really looking for. And I think that's good. You know, it's going to be a long, tough conversation with every one of our clients. And I think anybody in our industry is going to be having to deal with the same thing.
Yeah, they, they certainly are. It, it's fascinating. As you know, in Barron's tradition, we'd like to get one actionable idea from all of our guests. Uh, do you guys have those ready for us? Sure, we do, Jack. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I would just say um, one of the one of the things that we are always very conscious about is asking about our clients' families and asking what else we can do for them. So, uh, you know, talking about their children, talking about their philanthropy. So, in a time like this, more than ever, I think bridging that, you know, crossing that bridge and really getting to know your clients at a deeper level is 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 critical and will really mean a lot going forward. Uh, that's great advice, yeah. and when we know that that's the main reason that people leave their advisor is not because of their their portfolio performance, but because they haven't heard from them. Yeah, and 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 Jack, I, I'd have two. One one for for clients or investors is just making sure that everybody understands the risks, as I was mentioning before, that are in their portfolio. Our firm and most of the firms out there, due to technology, have all these wonderful tools now to really uh, enable clients to understand how much risk they have and how much the risk they're taking um, in the future. So just in the environment we're in, I think it's a really important thing to to go through, especially if, you know, we've been in a deflationary world for a long time, but what happens if this turns into inflation? For advisors, what I'd say is one thing that we did um, inside of Morgan Stanley, they have all these acronyms that someone called a WA, but we had, we hired somebody who basically, um, out of college, then spent uh, a year and a half or two years each of the different areas of wealth management. So, and she knows the technology inside the firm better than Deborah and I will ever know it. And so, <laughs> she, she she came on the team and really heads up the technology effort on how we're communicating, how we're you know using the CRM software, all, all the different resources and technology that Morgan Stanley has built because it, you know. To, to keep up with that, all the great things we have, it takes a lot of time. And so someone on our team who really understands it and makes sure that we're using it in a way. And that's one of the reasons I think that w- how we were seamlessly able in the beginning of March to be able to go remote and not skip a beat. <laughs> uh, we all need one of those around our office. Thank you so much, uh, Deborah and Lion, for your insights. Uh, thank you to everyone for tuning in. We will be back next week with another newsletter and another episode of The Way Forward. This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more.